Hello everyone, welcome back. This is now episode 14 of the Bald, Bold, and Gold podcast. As always, I'm Alex Donovan, but today we have a little bit of a special show. Not only will I be joined by my co-host Tom Slevin, but Ian will be podcasting, I guess his flu podcast, uh, dealing with an undisclosed uh, upper body injury. Um, and not only that, but we have our first ever guest on the podcast. Now, he's probably someone you've heard of if you're listening to this podcast. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, sure. I'll tell you who it is right now. It's Will Smith, lifelong Notre Dame fan and Bald, Bold, and Gold fan. Uh, it's a great interview. We talk about the state of the program and then things kind of get off the rails and we kind of just fuck around for a bit. But as usual, we'll be talking about uh, games around the country, the college football playoff rankings, the winner over Syracuse, the undefeated regular season. It's a packed show. So get ready. Hope you guys enjoy. Everyone, welcome back. This is going to be a special edition of Ball, Bold, and Gold. We are joined by the notorious Will Smith. Yes, you heard that correctly. Will Smith is joining the podcast today. Will, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Baldhead. Um, it's an honor to be here. Uh, a very prestigious podcast, nationwide consumed podcast, um, and international. Uh, actually, international. yeah, international. Actually, um, my former uh, radio show host is on here, so it's good to be back with him. We're kind of like the Mike and Mike of um, sports radio, but uh, we're back in business, and uh, it feels good, honestly. That that makes Bald Head Trey Wingo, right? That does. <laughs> Who just got fired? <laughs> Sorry, Bald Head. Bad things. Bad things coming your way. Oh well. All right. So B, why don't you? Yeah, B, why don't you? Uh, Go ahead. You know, for our guests that don't know you, you know, we have people from all over the globe. Uh, sorry, W, not B. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give yourself a little introduction, uh, you know, why you think you, I guess, deserve to be on this podcast, what you can bring to the table about, you know, college football. Sure. And, you know, your story of becoming a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, well, I suppose I was born into it. Um I didn't have much of a choice. It was, it was uh, kind of a birthright, but that, that's kind of that's the way I liked it. Um, always, always wanted to go to Notre Dame. Never, ever hesitated. Never wanted to go anywhere else. Probably have been to. I don't even know how many Notre Dame games I've been to. Actually, it's it's too hard to too hard to count because I live in Chicago, so it's easy easy to get there. 
um, like for us, Ian, maybe not as easy for the other two guys, but, um, uh, I, you know, I love Notre Dame football. It's probably my favorite, um, sports team of all the sports teams. Like I think like after the Cubs won a world series in 2016, um, that, that was near the top, but I think nothing, there's nothing I want more as a sports fan than Notre Dame national championship. And, and this is our year. So there's some general background for you. It's, it's our year. That's, that's my big takeaway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sure. So, you know, you said it's our year, obviously the Irish are, what are we, 10 and 0 now? Sure are. Uh, you know, last game, last game of the season, just kind of wiped off the schedule. And we'll get to Clemson preview next week. We'll go a little more in depth, talking about, you know, how they have Trevor Lawrence back and all those defensive players. And they'll probably be us by 60, according to everyone in the media. But B, you know, 10 and 0. Uh, you know, what were you kind of expecting coming into the year? Did we meet your expectations? You know, who surprised you? You know, what do you think of this year? I thought, um, I did think we'd go undefeated. Obviously, it's a really weird year, and the schedule was very different than we, what we thought it was going to be. Um, so that was uh, that was a little bit different than my expectations, I think, from like January. The things changed a little bit, um, not just in football, but in all of life. But um, I mean, I, th- I actually, I really did think we were going to beat Clemson. Like uh, in previous years, felt like in the back of our head, we always knew. We still like we were not we were we we knew if we were being really truly honest with ourselves we were we were never going to win one of those big games, um, and like truthfully like if you'd if you'd if you t- if you like put a gun to my head and said what's going to happen in the playoff game I would I t- I would have said we were, we would get our ass kicked in 2018 um, because Clemson was just that good that year but it feels different this year um, and that seems like almost counterintuitive with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, coming back and uh, even if he had played though, I don't, I don't think it would have made much of a difference. Not like DJ missed many throws. It's not like you can't really point to any play and be like, well, Trevor Lawrence would have made that play. Um, I mean, it all kind of boils down to the the Clemson game. And um, I did, I did actually expect us to run the table. And I think it's in the regular season. I I don't know what's going to happen on whatever the 18th. Um, but I think we keep it close at the very least. I, I think we were the uh, the popular pick for when we were played at home, um, and we kind of like had to have that game. Like talk about all the years of being Notre Dame sportsman. Like we never really had the big game that could like elevate us to the next level. Um, like if you look at like historically, like the big wins that we thought we had that were big wins, they were kind of they weren't big wins. Like beating Oklahoma when Blake Bell is your starting quarterback, that's not a legit big win um Michigan and we too. always fell short yeah yeah Michigan, Michigan too 20, yeah. yep and like it like just games like that we, we always fell short and it always seemed like you know we play Florida State was that 2014 um yeah when Jameis was still there like it and then so we're what five going into that game and then you lose that game and the wheels totally come off but like this year it just felt different and felt like um I actually was anti-Cali for a long time, but now I'm not because I actually think he really turned his act around. Um, he's like really focused on making the right hires with coordinators. Um, and uh, he's like done a much better job connecting with the players. So um, I, I thought this year just felt different and uh, it has been a little bit different. Now I think like we're going into 
uh, we're going to probably make the playoff, um, depending on how things go in a couple weeks. And uh, I, but I legitimately think we can beat anyone in the country. Whereas I, 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 I truthfully would have told you that if we played one of the big boys, we'd probably get our ass kicked. So it just feels different this year. And hopefully moving forward too, we're starting to win some big recruits and um, seeing seeing a difference in the program. Yeah, be, I think before we move to the next question, I think two things that you mentioned that I want to touch on is like inability to win the big game. Like if you just think of like I'm thinking of like three games, three big games off the top of my head while the four of us were at Notre Dame, right? Like Miami, Miami, Georgia, and Michigan last year. Um, games that I I think you know the Miami game was a disaster um, for for a lot of reasons, but like the other two games I think were very winnable games for us, and we just didn't show up in Ann Arbor and, and didn't get a break. Um, didn't didn't break our way in Athens, but like. To me, this definitely feels like a team that has and can continue to win big games and can compete on the big stages, um, and can and can run with the big boys. I think Alabama's an absolute wagon, but like, you know, other than that, um, the other the other the other teams at the top, I you know, I'm very ready to take Notre Dame against against the rest of the world there. Uh, the other thing you just touched on was what was the the last thing you said about like talent. I think that that talent and recruiting showed itself again this weekend and throughout the season when you guys when you look at guys like. Um, young guys who are contributing uh, on, a, on a pretty old team, on a pretty mature team on the whole, like Chris Tyree, Mike Ma- Michael, Michael Mayer, um, Isaiah Foskey. Like, there are young guys who are who are big recruits who are now panning out, and they're panning out early. You know, knock on wood, hopefully that yeah. continues. But, like, that's – that's Riley Mills. Riley, Riley Mills. Riley yeah. Mills. Ian's guy, Riley Mills. And that's Let's something go. that Kelly, Kelly never did any of that, too. No. Like, we would have – we've had some good recruiting class. We had a top five recruiting class, like, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And he would never ever play guys um, early, and like now he's willing to do that because like doesn't matter if Kyle Hamilton's eighteen; he's still probably the best best defensive back that we have, so he should be playing. Um, and he started to do that a lot more with, with like you said, Mayer and Foskey. Like let the let the young guys go in because if they're like we're looking, if you're looking ahead to next year too, like quarterback position's a big question mark and. That's worked out for uh, worked out for Clemson with Lawrence. It worked out for Alabama with Tua. I mean, like you can't you can't be afraid to put your best players on the field. Um, the you mentioned all those games. What is is something that you think has changed in the last couple of years that that made that Clemson game winnable for us? And and when did you realize it? Um, well, I think I think even last year. Um, it didn't. It still didn't feel like. It still didn't feel like we were quite there because I think like, you, you're, every team's gonna have a dud every year. Like, like uh, you probably you probably played on to an opponent, yeah. And we had a, we had a dud, but like it. But what I'm saying is like last year, it just felt like, like all those games. Like when we played those games, like this weekend, this weekend kind of felt like last year in, in a sense. Like we didn't really just like, punish them as much as we should have. Um. But we didn't we didn't do we didn't do that a lot this season. We really like kind of smashed a lot of our opponents. Um, whereas historically, like Kelly would, it always seemed like Kelly would play down to our opponents. Um, like honestly, I think like yeah, we've we've definitely like picked up recruiting. But like uh, as far as talent goes, like I really don't think the makeup of the roster four years ago was that much different. Like in terms of like the the raw talent that you have in the roster, I just think that like. One one thing I wasn't sure about going to the season was like, what's Tommy Reese going to be? Cause like, I, I I get the hire and it makes a lot of sense for continuity of the program and a lot of the players loved and respected him, but like, 
it just seemed like he's 28 years old. He doesn't have a ton of experience. And like, that's a big responsibility um, at your alma mater. Like you got to feel a lot of pressure there. Um, but then like after the first couple of games, it, it, we kind of got rolling and um, I realized like our defense is pretty elite. And uh, I saw pro football focus said today that our de- like they were talking about our, our defense is like the best in the country. Um, and, uh, like you can't, you can't shut down, um, you can't shut down Clemson's, you can't shut down Alabama's, but you can make enough plays and make enough stops to give yourself a chance in the game. And then really what the turning point was, I think was this season is like once you, once Ian started to get his groove and like, honestly, it, it didn't really hit his full groove until after Clemson. Cause he just needed that one win, but now he's just shoving, um, and he's making so many plays. It's it's fun to watch. And if we beat Clemson again, then like there's all there's going to be Heisman hype, like because it's such a bizarre season. And you don't really need to put up um, monster numbers because everyone's playing a different number of games. So it's just kind of like who's the most valuable player to their team, and you can make the argument that he he has been. So uh, yeah, it's it's a combination of all of those things. I want to present to the panel here one Bill Bayless. Um, or Rob Bayless, sorry, Rob Bayless, as kind of a, a, a transition point for the program because that's when we really started getting guys and then also developing them. Yeah. And, and, and guys that came in as athletes left as better athletes. Yeah, I, uh, Ian, I think like to your point, one, one, one picture that always sticks, sticks out in my head is there's a before and after of Tavon Coney um, of the year before Bayless came in and then the year, the, like, you know, once he went through his winter training and the spring training program. Holy shit! I mean, th- I mean, Tavon Coney was a large individual, athletic individual to start, but then like he comes out and these guys look cut, and I think he's been a big part of of why Notre Dame and Kelly and the coaching staff have been able to develop develop guys better than other programs have. Like I think like one thing that we talked about last week and that's been talked about um, over the last few weeks national media is like Texas and you know they get all these really big, really good recruiting classes, but Tom Herman has not been able to develop internally. Um, and I think that Bayless, Bayless has made a very big difference in Kelly's ability to uh, to develop guys. Like you know, and I think the one that should come to all of our minds is Wu, who's a who's a three star, right? Like this guy, I believe he's a three star, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and that, I believe we we signed him in that 2017 class that I believe came after 2016. Yes, he signed on with the with the class after, that came in after a four and eight campaign, I think, right? Yeah. Um, I, I I will say too, like one thing Kelly does well is like he does he does a really good job of, uh, he's done a really good job like throughout his whole Notre Dame tenure of converting, like three star players into, like, he does a really good job making a three star five star, but he doesn't so much do a good job of keeping a five star as a five star or even keeping him on the field keeping him out of trouble, but um, he start he's starting to now so uh, he like that's just like I I think like you said Ian like Bayless is. Definitely been a, a game changer for sure. Yeah, I, I think you know it's kind of twofold. And we've touched on it a bit. Like you look, I think twenty four seven or two four seven, however they want us to pronounce it. Uh, they put out you know this like talent matrix of top teams in college football. Yeah, I think there's a blue chip ratio, which is how many four or five stars compared to the rest of the roster. And Notre Dame consistently comes in at you know somewhere between probably eight and thirteen overall in that matrix, which means, yeah, you know, they're getting good guys, but 
to be at the level that they've been at the last four years, it takes something different, and that's something Kelly committed to after 2016. You know, that was my first year, you know, going to Notre Dame football games, you know, being truly invested and being a fan. And, you know, if that's your first impression, you know, it's horrible for Kelly. And, you know, what he did for his turnaround, now Mission might expect Harbaugh to do that, and we can get into that later. But he basically flipped the program on its head, said, you know, I'm not going to take these risky guys. You know, I will live in that 8 to 13 guys range if, you know, if it's a three-star, if they're projectable to be, like you said, turn that three-star to a five-star. Like, woo, if they have projectable traits, you know, on and off the field. I know we get annoyed with how much Kelly talks about traits, but, you know, those five stars that don't fit in at Notre Dame, you know, yeah, sure, the 2013 recruiting class was like a top five class, but none of those top guys really panned out. You know, it's, yeah, I'll take the mid-level four-star who's a great fit at Notre Dame 10 times out of 10 over, you know, the five-star that might not fit in, but, you know, runs a 4-3 and is 6-3, 210. I will too. And that's that's not even like a, like, pride thing, like, oh, no, we want the, we want the, the good guys. It's like, no, those guys actually end up producing better on the field. Yeah. I also think that's the way that you got to do it. Like, if you want to get to – that's the way that Clemson kind of did it. Like, if you want to get and, and have your pick, basically, of elite five-star athletes every single year, the way you do it is you need to, ha- like, build – play in your tier first. Sh- like, you know, show your, you have a really well-run program, win, and you ultimately I think what you need is, like, a guy like Deshaun Watson – who kind of elevated them to the next level, and then and then you really start picking, um, picking apart like the five stars and and just having consistent top five recruiting classes. But I I agree, like even even if we do get to that point, go for the guy who's a fit at Notre Dame because um, a guy who's a fit at Notre Dame is uh it's it's hard, he's probably harder to find, and a guy who's a fit at Alabama is probably a fit also at Clemson and at all a bunch of other elite programs. So like. Um, it's they're they're a lot harder harder to pick out um, in a in a recruiting class, and I think to your point about like about fit like we've talked I've talked a lot about it myself I think we've talked about it a lot as a podcast just like how mature this Notre Dame team has been on the whole um, <clears throat> handling the pressure and, and Kelly being willing being willing and able to talk about big games in the future um, and and say that we're say that we're looking ahead while still being able to be. Uh, focused on this week's game, and I think it, it's guys who fit that help with that, that that help that help develop that, that help build that maturity. Because um, you can't do it, you can't do it with guys who aren't bought in. You can't do it with guys who don't gel with the rest of the team. So I think as much as as, as important as it is to have five stars um, and these superstar quarterbacks, but like that's important. But it's also is important to get guys that are going to mesh well with the rest of the locker room and mesh well with the coaching staff uh, and mesh well with the program and fit in at Notre Dame for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, just kind of, you know, I guess wrapping up the this kind of state of the program discussion we've had here until we get into, you know, a little more of the fun stuff. I'd say this program's in a really good spot. I'm not sure, you know, if you compare it to Clemson, is Ian Book our Taj Boyd or is he our Deshaun Watson? You know, Taj Boyd was a really good college quarterback, but didn't get him to that next level. And we're going to find that out over the next three games. But, yeah, yeah, thank you. That one came to me. And, you know, I think this is the best spot Notre Dame's program has been in in 30 years. I think that's not even questionable, you know, 
Kelly's going to ride out of his contract most likely in mid 2020s. And I think you just got to hope that, you know, I trust the system he's built. I'm not sure if there's anyone else in the country that could have built it the way Brian Kelly did. So, you know, I'm hoping for the best. I think that he will be able to bring us one could happen this year. Obviously we'll have to go through a fucking gauntlet. Like we talk about Notre Dame has been in like that second tier teams, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, et cetera, with the top two really being Alabama, Clemson, and uh, Ohio State's kind of in between. We're going to have to go through all three of those teams maybe back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So why not us? It's our year. Also, what, one more quick thing. Um, did you see that Clark Lee interviewed with Vandy on Sunday? I did. Mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about it. You know, yeah. Well, this is this is another thing that I saw. Alabama – deals with this almost every year, every year. Yeah. one of their coordinators at this time of year you know leaving so will be interviewing before a semi yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah unless, unless he thinks he's in waiting which I, I can't imagine that he is but no no um sark probably wants to go the kiffin route but yeah the but, lee, yeah. lee lee interviewing stinks um but it's a reality uh you just hope that he He's selective about the job that he takes and the one he's willing to leave for. Right. Or, like, it's or, like we're going to lose Clark Lee, but is Vandy the right job for him? Like, I know yeah. he's an alumni, but, like... No, it's not. I don't know. Or, or Vanderbilt just, you know, maybe by the time we're done with this, they just hire Jeff Fisher or um, or Bill O'Brien, and everybody, everybody goes God. home happy. Please, God. Everybody goes home happy except for all of Vanderbilt. <laughs> I mean, Vanderbilt's the worst. Jo- it's the worst job in the SEC in terms of fan support, facilities, you know, academics. It's you know, Vanderbilt can probably take twenty five percent of the roster of other SEC schools academically. Like it's it's almost impossible job yeah. to win at. I think I think though uh, to like all all these points. Like if you're not if you don't have assistant coaches that aren't being plucked away. Then you're then you're not doing a good job of hiring coordinators. So, um, it's uh, it's it has its pluses and minuses for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, should we transition to the fun stuff? Yeah, let's yeah. Do it. Not that that wasn't fun. Yeah, that that was fun. I think that grew organically. I loved it. Um, so, Will, you graduated uh, same year as us, twenty six or twenty twenty. Started Alex. in twenty sixteen. Uh, we shared a lot of game days together. Uh, what would you say, you know, not your favorite game you attended or favorite moment in a game like Michigan 2018, your funniest game day that you had in your time at Notre Dame? Um, oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, probably one of the ones where you sat upstairs. Those were always got pretty funny. Um, but, uh, I, I think um, funny weekend was Northwestern. Oh yeah, definitely. That was that was just so different than any of our uh, like like I think even even the road games we went to like it was kind of a traditional uh, kind of a traditional college football experience. Yeah, but that that was just different. And then um, the fact that it was just kind of pouring rain, but we just and we were all pretty much underdressed. We just kind of ate it and stayed for the whole game. Um, and that was just a, that was an all time great weekend uh, in in Chicago as well. So I, I, maybe maybe not the funniest. Like I don't. It's hard to pick out a specific moment. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that I, I think that was like a funny, funny and surprisingly like 
fun, just a blast of a game day. Well, like in yeah, you it, guys beat my ass. <laughs> that we did. Um, in uh, it, just for like somebody who's from who's not from close to Notre Dame from the East Coast, it was nice to see the Chicago Land kids get a pseudo home game. Um, yeah, where where Notre, where they were all home, they all got to see their families, all their friends were able to come to the game. Uh, we got to hit some of the Chicago bars, and Notre Dame took over Ryan Field. Um, so that was uh, I agree that was to end to me that that weekend that weekend was hysterical. Sorry, yeah, sorry, bald head. You were on you were on yeah. you were on the receiving end of a lot of that. It's such a cute it's such a cute little college experience too. You know, yeah, they, it they, is. They really do their best, but they do not have their shit together when it comes to fans leaving the stadium. Nope, not well. That stadium is also like so old and. It's a cool like, looking I, I, stadium. We had, we had, we had to is. walk for like four miles just to be able to call it. What what I said it, when, you, when you're walking in the concourse, it felt like old Yankee Stadium. And Definitely, it was, just like it was so it was, tiny. It, it was, was nar- so congested. Mm-hmm. It was narrow. The concessions were right on top of like the, the walkway. I agree, B completely. Yeah, and and past Northwestern games I'd been to were not nearly like that. Was a solid crowd. I'd never been to a solid game at Ryan Field. Mm-hmm. Am I mistaken? Did they have troughs? Yes, they had I troughs. I think they did have troughs. They had troughs. All right, that's a pl- that's a plus for the stadium, Sign of in my stadium. opinion. <laughs> Sign of a stadium with some history. Just pick a, piss in a bucket. <laughs> piss in a bucket with 10 strangers, pretty much. <laughs> All right. Will, who was the most annoying fan to sit with at a Notre Dame home game? Ooh. Ooh. Mm. That's a good one. Um... It's it's go it goes one of two ways. It's it's the person who uh, you don't have to say a name. You don't have to no, say a name if you don't want. To. No, no. I'm just gonna say there there's two types of fans that I think stink. It's like either the one that just couldn't care less, especially in a big game, or your girlfriend, or no, not a girlfriend, uh, or <laughs> or the one, or the one, or the one um, who just like. Is getting they just like they, they feel the need to, to like pretend like they're the world's biggest fan, and even when we're up by eighty, they're still like getting ticked off that um, our ninth string running back is on, like that Mick is only averaging one point seven yards per carry. No, Cam Kamikaniake <laughs> holding up the one yard. <laughs> so it's one of, it's one of those two types of fans. I think that's funny. It's funny to sit with, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I miss, I miss. Oh, um, we obviously have not been back in a game this year, but I, I miss going to games. Like, I just miss like walking into uh, Notre Dame Stadium and just like, like especially that first game of the year when you like walk through the tunnel and you like look and you see the full stadium and you just like hear the band and you're like, oh, let's go! Like, it, we're back. It's and good then to do that. This, what, and it always happens too. Like, how the hell is it December eighth? How the hell is the regular season over? Yeah. I, I'm with you. And how how is it week 14 of the NFL like that? It's gone by way too fast. I'm just uh, hoping. I'm just hoping we're back in polos and, and khakis uh, in August or September. To, to we watch. will be. We will be. Um, let's go down to Tallahassee. Sure, let's do it. Um, B, uh, B, another question for you. I'm, I am going to ask you to name a name. Pick a f- if you watch if you watch a Notre Dame game with one person out of your friends, who would it be? One person. I, I got my answer. Um, I got Delphix. Delphix is good. Delphix is good. Um, let's see here. That's a good question. I didn't. I didn't prepare for any of these questions. 
Um, we, we, we know. <laughs> probably Jack Rogers. Jack Terry. Rogers is a good one. <laughs> but isn't he exactly the guy that you said you hated? The guy who's still <laughs> screaming when we're up 52 Because it's Terry, it's just always entertaining. Like, like the, uh, is it because he's 5'6"? Yeah, like the... Um, like the Miami game, <laughs> we got blown out. We were at Matt's house, oh, and he bad. was just outrageously <laughs> the mad. Incredible! The video is incredible. <laughs> it was so absurd, but he like he's always extremely high energy. And it, the thing is, the guy who's acting mad is he's acting, but Terry's is authentic. Like he's he's probably legitimately pissed off. Him and pops both 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 authentically pissed. Yeah, exactly. Like the first. <laughs> The first game we watched our freshman year, that Texas game, you know, we watched it down on Eddy Street, and after the game, you know, we're all pretty bummed that we lost, and you know, we're like, all right, walking back like South Quad, and we're like, where's Jack? <laughs> on the pathway back, when once you cross Eddy Street, back in front of what was a D pack, there's just a man hunched over on his on the bench <laughs> with his head in his hands. <laughs> we were just like. Hey, Jack, he's like, Ugh. hey, we're going back to the dorm. You want to come? He's like, all right. But that's, that, that's authentic, though. It's no, it's, it's no joke. So I love the energy. Oh, man. Yeah. So many good times. Your turn. All right. So you're – I know. I, I got out of turn, and I'm kind of forgetting what I want here. Who's been your – who is your favorite player? I guess you can't pick anyone – so you can't pick any current players on the roster? I, I guess you can. Current player that's not, I guess, an all-American slash all-conference type level stud. So you can't pick a Claypool, Julian Love, Tavon Coney, Tillery type from the past. Or tr- no, I could give you Tranquil. Or, for example, this year, can't pick like Wu, Hamilton, yeah. Book, Eichenberg. Who's been your favorite, I guess, like – you know, average Notre Dame player when you're looking back over, you know, the last three years, three, four years and the revival under Kelly, who's one of the more, I guess, underrated players that you just loved? Um, that's a good question. Um, probably someone on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'd say like Alohi, but Alohi's a great answer. But he, I, I think he, I could give you, but Alohi. I think he might have been. Is he a third-team All-American? He might have been. It's it's tough to draw um, the line. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I we can count. Low. I love the low because I love like a, I love a guy who transfers from Navy, right? He went to Navy, mm-hmm. and then he like fully bought into Notre Dame, and then he was just like a monster in the back end, anchored our defense in eighteen. Um, I loved him. Like a, he's like a he's like a modern day Pat Eilers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Not not nearly as good, and not not nearly as impactful player, impactful player. But um, I lo- I loved him, and then uh, I I love I, I love he might be even be an all American way he's playing lately. But like Javon too, like I love and Avery Davis. Like I loved I love guys like Chris Fink. Like guy I love I like Fink, but like I love like like a guy like Avery Davis or Javon who like who didn't really get their chance for four years, but stuck it out. And like have made massive plays for us this year, um, like Avery Davis with that that catch on that that go over the middle versus Clemson, and then Javon just made a ton of plays lately, and like he's kind of been unstoppable. But like he never really like Javon, I think was a four star. Avery Davis is a four star quarterback. He moved positions five times, and he's still 
like making a bunch of plays for us in his fifth year. So um, I, I appreciate and uh, respect those guys for their contributions and, and making plays too in big spots. Um, my next question is judged purely, purely on football IQ. Which current Notre Dame football player do you think would make the best Lev Finn analyst? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, the easy answer is Akaniyake because he's a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> so that one's kind of an alley-oop. Scholarship it's e- player. It's, yeah, it's either him or... Hmm, who's probably not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. I'll, I'll, th- I'll th- take. Think a- of the traits. What, what what traits do you need to become right, a leveraged yeah, we'll, finance? We'll, we'll, Jordan Johnson banker. for sure. And Jordan what player Johnson. embodies them? Jordan, Jordan Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> a true freshman all star on the sticks. <laughs> well, I did see he's been like the, I guess like most pumped up guy on the sidelines the last few games. Yeah, Bo, Bo Bauer seems like a like. Oh, really Bo would be good. He's a spark plug. Yeah, Drew, Drew White would be probably a good one too. Yeah, although he he he's a great linebacker, but I'm not sure how much he's got left in that in that head up there. He might be. He, oh, you he know, hits, you he know, hits hard. You know who would be my my last Salerno. pick? Salerno would be my last pick because he's got zero brain cells left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the paint oh, and like everything that flew off his helmet, he got. Who else had that? Hot. Was that Dex who also had that? Nah, it was um. Dion McIntyre. Yeah, it was Dion. Yeah, it, it was Dion. Year. It Dion. was Dion. Way back in the day. Yeah. I'm such an asshole. Like, Salerno got rocked like that. And after, like, I realized he's all right, I'm like, well, like, catch the ball the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kind of walked into that one. <laughs> Jesus. All right. What happens? B, we can wrap up with one more question if that's good for you. Yeah, that works. Um, we'll switch gears to Notre Dame hoops. Uh, who do you think – is the best pl- is the best player this year on on Notre, on Notre Dame? Um, <laughs> I really I really don't like Notre Dame basketball right now. Um, <laughs> it's just been so disappointing. Okay, you know, let's, we, like we, let, let's well, change we, the question. We came in. We, okay, we, you can change the question. I just say we we came in. Um, I mean, Prentice Hub is probably the answer. Like he's the best scorer. Like he should he should well, shoot well. the ball thirty times a game, <laughs> but. Um, like when we came in, we were in the lead eight our freshman year, right? Yeah. Back to back lead eight. It's like we kind of had the expectation that we'd be good for a while. And then um, if we started recruiting well, too, like better than we'd ever recruited before. And they've all just kind of been duds. So that's pretty disappointing. But we've gotten, and then, and then we like just screwed ourselves by, by playing America's toughest schedule this year. So um, not sure who was in charge of that, but that, that was <laughs> seemed to be an unwise decision. <laughs> All right, uh, all right. Better question, and, we'll, and then we'll really let you go. Favorite Notre Dame basketball player in recent history, and I'll let you go back to your childhood. I mean, like in, um, in your in your lifetime. Yeah, it's a better question. Probably Tory Jackson. Okay, I love Tory Jackson or Eric Atkins, one of those two guards. Um, I mean, I do love like the Elite Eight team that we should have beaten Kentucky too. Like I love, I love like that was obviously my favorite team. Um, yeah. We were just so, like that. That that's a team that like you don't have any superstar NBA players, but like your whole team is just so good. Everyone plays a role so deep. 
we weren't actually really that deep, but like we we had a couple guys off come Con- off the bench. Pat Connaughton's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah he's going to make a lot of money, yeah. but he's still like an eighth or ninth man on the bench, and like our best scorer, like Jerry Grant, is not like an NBA. He's not even, not even in the NBA anymore. Um, but um, that t- that team was most fun. But yeah, it's like Tory Jackson used to wear. We used to wear those sweet like black jerseys that said oh, yeah. Irish and cursive with the shamrock over the eye. Those were yeah. sharp. Bring some of those back. Ooh. Um, Ooh, I, so, I still have one more one more question. Sure. Favorite uh, favorite Notre Shamrock series slash non traditional Notre Dame jersey. Oh, that's probably a good call. Um, I think the ones we the all white suit wore versus Arizona State were probably my favorite. Twenty thirteen, I think it was. Yeah, from Ca- from from Cowboy Stadium, right? Or from AT and T? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I also well, love like yeah. the the simple ones that we wore. I don't know if that was actually Shamrock, but the. The ones we wore were at Michigan, uh, in that nuts game where, like, I think it was Denard Robinson was still there. Or like, oh yeah, yeah the throwbacks. There. Yeah, like, and, Tommy, and Tommy Reese for Roundtree, Roundtree. Yeah, had that game winning touchdown. Those I think were Gary sweet. Gray, with, like, my least favorite Notre Dame player of all time. Gary yeah, Gray. yeah. Um, Sorry, Gary. Those were sweet, like simple. Like I think we like we've just had horrible uniforms lately with those games because they try to get too fancy. Like just keep it simple. And like that, that was a simple uniform design with like the shamrock on the helmet and like just a couple stripes on the sleeves. That's our jersey is simple to begin with, so don't. don't I was much. I was a big fan of the of the Boston jersey of the of the Fenway jersey, um, and I liked Maryland too. Um, the helmets that I thought we wore were pretty sweet. They're like a different gold with a green shamrock on them, and we yeah. compared them with the green jerseys. I thought those were pretty sweet. My my Isn't problem with the greens anything, anything but the subway series. Yeah, those those. I, are, I, I, I Slav like those, obviously loves those. Yeah, um, I think I think that my my knock against the greens is if you're not wearing the green like the simple greens with the gold numbers like that we wore versus USC in 05, then that's just the wrong that's that's not the right green. To I me. agree completely because that's the, that 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 was kind of the updated version of like the one that Joe Montana and that Notre Dame team wore too. Yeah, and like that's just the best looking. If we did that with like the modern look of jerseys, it would be, oh, it'd be so hot. God, I'd spend gotta pull that out. I'd spend all the monies to get that from oh, the bookstore. I, I would as spend as so as much money to get that. We'll probably discuss this at some point. So, assuming Notre Dame <clears throat> makes the playoff uh, in you know twenty eighteen, we got new jerseys for that. Although they just made the gold more gold trim on our numbers. Would you guys be opposed to wearing green for a playoff game? I, I think I'd be opposed, yeah, but I I think it also depends like on how you do it. Like I think if you if you if you hype it up and you like get the players fired up, then then I'm I'm more towards it. Um, and if you like, I, I was I was saying like if you if I was saying this to some people like if if you put them put them in the locker room at halftime or like when they go out to warm up and they come back in the locker room before the playoff game, and the greens are just hanging in their lockers. It's that also would got. Be- it's that also got to be the right sharp. It's got to be the right green though too. It's got to be the yeah. It's, it's got to be, be the Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen. Yeah. Green and not gold. The, green. Yeah, not the candy ass we wore versus Florida State. Nope, that's when Bush had to play for a book. That was horrible. So we don't want any of that. Under Armour will probably fuck it up yeah. though. Under Armour sucks. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping we get out of that deal soon. UCLA today yeah. signed with Jordan, so I, I think we're gonna. Hopefully, I don't I have no reason to believe this, but maybe Nike next, and then. We'd actually start to have some sweet uniforms. That'd be fun. Yeah, but we'll see. 
All right, B. All right, boys. Will. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming Thanks on for coming today. On, enjoy the, enjoy, enjoy the bye week. And uh, we'll take care of business mm-hmm. in Charlotte. All right. All right. See you there. All right, guys. This should be. All right. See you guys. All right. It is Tuesday, December 8th. We're recording this podcast right after the new release of the college football playoff rankings. Uh, no change in the top six. Nothing that you know, materially affects Notre Dame. We saw some movement at the back end, uh, most notably Iowa State at seven. Did you guys see that? What do you think about that? I don't have an objection to it. I, um, I think that Iowa State's actually a pretty solid football team. It stinks that Cincinnati has to get moved down because of it, but like, I don't think people respect Brees Hall enough whatsoever. I think they have a pretty solid defense, and they're kind of making light work of everybody they're playing. Uh, I still don't think Brock Purdy is is um, that good, very good at all, um, but I think they have enough on the rest of that roster. to. I think they're certainly better than Georgia. I think they're certainly better than Miami. Putting them ahead of Cincinnati is wishy-washy, but I think that's also something that could figure itself out. I think if Cincinnati plays a, t- a close game with Tulsa, then the playoff committee ends up being proven correct. So, Yeah, um, I think I was a super tough team to beat, but I'm with you, Slav. Brock Purdy in their passing game just like is not what I would hope a, the seventh-ranked team in the country would be. That being said, Cincinnati hasn't, Cincinnati hasn't played in a while, and, 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 we, and we've seen the, the committee reward games that have been played so that's 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 why it kind of makes sense to me and, and it seems consistent to how the rest of the rankings play out i disagree hard i think miami and georgia just have way too many athletes and are well coached enough i think they would smoke iowa state that team was a total fraud that we exposed in the camping world bowl don't think they've gotten that much better. I mean, they lost a, yeah, I know it's week one in a COVID year, but they, I mean, they got clapped by Louisiana Lafayette. But, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, they would need a lot of dominoes to fall to make the playoff anyway. It's just kind of, I think the bigger takeaway from that is that the group of five is just never going to make a college football playoff. You know, they jumped Cincinnati and for Cincinnati not playing and, you know, for an undefeated Cincinnati team that's beaten some strong but not great teams. You know, that just kind of sucks for fans of, I guess, half the country that roots for a group of five teams. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I think that they're going to they, – they, if, if they don't get included soon, which I don't necessarily foresee happening unless you see an expansion, um, I think, like, they're going to have to strongly consider doing their own thing because, like, I think they'd get a ton of viewership. Like, if I got a – I'm looking now. Like, if I got something that was uh, another – like, their own four-team playoff, that had Cincinnati as the one, Coastal as the two, uh, you know, Lafayette as the three, and pick pick your poison for four, you know? Like, I think that I would certainly watch a lot of that. Um, you know, I guess Lafayette may not make it because they're going to play Coastal anyways, but, like, I would watch a lot of that game. BYU would be in the mix, obviously. Um, especially if it, if it was, so, so long as it wasn't opposing an ACC championship or SEC championship, I don't see there's why there's any reason you couldn't get viewership on those games um, and people be excited about them. One other thing, one other thing I noticed in the top 25 while, while we're here, um, I hate to see it. I hate to see a lot of because I, I, I like Missouri. They're, I think they're a pretty good team. and They've looked a lot better than I thought they were going to. But them slipping into the top 25 and giving 
the SEC, the top of the SEC, another top 25 win, sucks. <laughs> like, sucks. Yeah. Like, like, that team's so average. Like, honestly, I don't even know if I could name anyone, so I might not be you know, the best person to judge, but come on. Like, SEC, Georgia shouldn't be as high as they no. are. I think, I think Georgia's uh, fraudulent. I mean, having, you know, A&M, Florida at five and six, well, I think, you know, Florida, I think, is that good. Having watched A&M play, I think that win over Florida might have been a little fluky. But So I guess you can justify those two teams there. But, I mean, I just don't think the SEC, you know, back when everyone would talk about how the SEC is far and away the best, I I just don't think that's the case this year, especially in the middle of the conference. Obviously, Alabama's at a different level. Florida and A&M are solid, you know. You got to give them respect for going 8, 9, 10, and 0, whatever they are at this point. But after that, you know, it's just not that deep of a conference. All right. Uh, anything else? So this upcoming weekend, I guess, we can talk about the upcoming games. Once again, Ohio State gets another game canceled. They will end the season at best 6-0. and and do you think that's enough to deserve a playoff spot? Uh, I I would say if things hold how we expect them to hold, more so saying that Bama beats Florida, then I think it is enough. I don't I don't I don't I don't know if I agree with it, but I think it will be enough. And and what's what's the question? Is it that we agree with it or that we think it's going to happen? I mean, I, I guess both because, I mean, you can, like, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's going to happen. And honestly, I do think Ohio State at their peak, you know, with fields and those receivers, you know, if they clean things up on defense, I think they are a better team than AM or Florida. So do I. But at some point, you know, someone threw a stat out there today, you know, they've played six games. Ohio State's losses in these recent years, they were 6-0 when they lost to Penn State in 2016, 7-1 when they lost to Iowa in 2017, and then 7-0 when they lost to Purdue in 2018. They were they weren't, they weren't missed the playoff all three of those years, losing to Penn State was still mediocre then. That was before Trace McSorley really got it rolling. Then Iowa and Purdue, and they got smoked in those games. And they missed the playoff all those years. And, you know, who's to say that, especially since their defense isn't at an elite level, that couldn't happen again this year. So, you know, they're getting the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not entirely sure why is my biggest issue. So, to me, I mean, it, it, it's, it's quarterback bias, right? Yeah. yeah, it's just Justin Fields put up great numbers last year. To me, I think that you can kind of like, that's you it. Can take, a few, like, you take a few angles on it. I think one one perspective that just came to mind would be like, hey, like, what if Notre Dame wasn't a conference this year, right? And they didn't have a chance to compete for an ACC championship game, and they had a bunch of games get canceled on them, so they didn't get to get to twelve games, or they didn't even get to get to ten games. They and they got to six, and Notre Dame's sitting there at six and zero with their best win, say, be North Carolina, and and not be Clemson, um, and have played a tight game with. Um, and have and you know have played some tight games or games that may that have been tighter than maybe they should have been. I don't think there's a chance Notre Dame's in the conversation at that point. And like to me, that's a little frustrating too because I think like 
again, this is a very heavy Notre Dame bias, probably. Like, I don't think Notre Dame's in the conversation, and that's annoying. Like, because if they, if they had the same resume as Ohio State did without a conference championship game, smell you, you're not even getting close. You didn't play enough games. So that's annoying. But to, to answer the question that you guys were asking, like, it's going to be dependent on the situation. If Chalk holds and Bama wins and doesn't really matter what happens in the Notre Dame Clemson game, Ohio State's going to be it. If Florida wins, it becomes very interesting um, because I don't think that Ohio State would be better than Florida, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, um, especially without the game. Um, and then one thing that another another thing that kind of pops into mind with this is like, hey, you know, they're not eligible for the Big Ten championship, right? And somebody made the point was that no matter what, like Ohio State's going to play again next weekend, uh, the weekend of the nineteenth. Um, whether it be for, for a Big Ten championship or whether it be against another team. Because the entire Big Ten is going to play. Um, it's just a matter of who they line up with on the other side of, of on the other, in the other division. Um, would it be would it be beneficial for Ohio State to play a Wisconsin or an Iowa rather to get the sixth win rather than kicking the shit out of a out of a fraudulent Northwestern team? Because it doesn't really matter. It's, it's clear that the, that the committee's not really going to care that much about your your conference championship this year. So, so it would it be better for them to have a better quality win against an Iowa team or a Wisconsin team rather than that Northwestern team? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. But I thought that was like that was good food Look, for thought. Yeah. the The thing is with that is Northwestern beat both Iowa and Wisconsin. So, I think I think yes. Northwestern's a better team. It doesn't help Ohio State in the slice. No, any of the three teams doesn't help them because two of them lost Northwestern, and then you watch Northwestern play, and they're garbage. Um, let's be honest. Uh, so I, I guess like you could just say that the Big Ten title would mean more, just so it's like that other argument because the College Football Playoff Committee does list you know, conference championships as a criteria. But that would be, I mean, it. they're conference champions in name only. The Big Ten rate, Big Ten, you know, in terms of strength was a joke. And in terms of how this whole thing's kind of been set up with teams not eligible to make the conference championship game, it's just kind of a joke this year. You know, it'd just be paper conference championship means I mean, it, nothing. It, Kevin, Warren, Kevin Warren's a clown, and we're seeing his ineptitude this conference. Couldn't agree more. What I will say is selfishly, I think as Notre Dame fans, we want Ohio State in there for a couple different reasons. The first being, say this is the year that Brian Kelly gets it done. We we don't we don't want anybody shouting that it wasn't the four best teams. And I think a lot of people think that Ohio State probably is that fourth best team. Second of all, if they get in without a conference championship, I know it's a special year. But next year, we're not going to have a conference championship. And the year after that, we're not going to have a conference championship. Good point. So maybe changing the criteria a little bit is something that's good for us. I agree. I mean, next year, we're also not going to have, unless someone really comes out of nowhere, we're not going to have like a truly elite team on our schedule. But I'm just saying we're not going to have a conference championship next year. Yeah. And we won't have, you know, top five win either unless someone really surprises. Mm-hmm. So, so it's very similar. So we, maybe we want the criteria changed a little bit, um, because I'm sick of hearing or hearing people say Notre Dame needs to join a conference because 
Austin Ohio State kind of flipped roles this year. Yeah. Uh, I think one one more thing on it too is just like so I'm looking at the rankings right now, um, and it, it's it's a divisional thing. Like there's nothing that can be do, done about it. It's not Kevin Warren's fault. It's nobody's fault. But like Indiana's getting the sh- getting the, the short end of the stick here because they played really tough against Ohio State and Columbus, and I think. I think personally that they would blow the doors off of Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Like I think Tom Allen has that team cooking, and they're not gonna. Um, I don't know if you. I'm sure you guys saw the video, but like, how do you not want to play for Tom Allen at this point? He he yeah, still got exactly. his guys fired up even without uh, Michael Penix. So like to me, it, to me that just kind of stinks that they, that they played a tight game in Columbus, and, and it's not really gonna matter whether what, what they do what they do next Saturday. Like yeah, they're out. Um, I'm not saying they deserve a playoff spot, but I think it would have been good to it would, if 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 divisions didn't necessarily matter. It would have been good to get them in match with Ohio State at least. Yeah, well, they also just popped for COVID too. They had the I don't think they practiced today, yeah, that? so that might be an issue going forward for them in the next two weeks as well. All right, do you guys want to move on Senior Day? Sure. Sure. So. Kind of, this will be another game, I think, along with uh, that Georgia Tech game earlier where we don't remember a whole lot of details about the game. It was sloppy. Like, that was my first takeaway. You know, this team wasn't locked in. They didn't necessarily have to be. Can't really blame them, and it doesn't really worry me because after our sloppiest game of the year before this against Georgia Tech, came out and beat Clemson. So the ability to refocus doesn't worry me at all. Um yeah, 45-21, book five TDs. Hell of a way for him, Javon McKinley, to go out. You guys got any other takeaways from this game? I thought I thought 12 played great again. So the slappiness was not on him. I thought he was locked in. He was incredible in the pocket. His movement I thought was fantastic. Um, there were defensive plays that were frustrating. I, they just Syracuse is much worse than we made him look. Yeah. That's a, that's a bad football team that looked that looked much better than they should have at points. They looked competent and they're not competent. Yeah, they rushed for negative three yards against NC State the week before, and NC State did not have you know what's was I guess considered like the number one run defense in the country, which Notre Dame like did. But I mean, it was small things, missed tackles, just mental. It was more mental than physical. Kelly touched on that. It's- Syracuse didn't beat us up. Kelly touched on that in his press conference. He was completely mental. Like, and, and, and you watch, you watch, you watch it back. You watch back some of the game too. You'll notice, like especially on the defense, like we just blew some gaps that kind of read up, uh, that kind of led to led to some issues on the on the runs. And um, that's kind of why we they had two hundred yard rushers. Um, and then the other thing too is just missed tackles. Like Cooper Lutz, who's I think the second string running back for Syracuse, broke one off the right side. It was in the third or fourth quarter uh, because we because somebody blew an assignment on the C gap, and Bracy never Br- Bracy didn't know he was on a football field. Like he was, he got all turned around, and Cooper Lutz ran right by him and couldn't, and nobody could catch him. So like that was frustrating, but it's to me, it's it's a symptom of just finishing up with finals. Nobody's on campus. It's senior day. There's a lot other else going on, and you got something to look forward to next week. To me, it all gets cleaned up. Um, I think one of the issues, you know, one of the other things too is get guys healthy again. Like Tommy Kramer, I know it was senior day, but he had no business playing in that game. He shouldn't have had to play in that game. Um, you know, 
get him rested, get him healthy, get Zeke Carell healthy, and then wrapped up with some extra tape on Saturday. Because um, Lug and Gibbons looked sh- didn't look great. Um, they're gonna need they're gonna need some more um, they're gonna need some more consistency and as many starters as they can get back up front uh, for sure. Yeah, and one player you mentioned was Bracey, just not even knowing he was on a football field. On the flip side of that, I don't want to see Tariq Bracey play like a single snap against Clemson because, A, first game he gets torched, pulled immediately. Clarence Lewis played a hell Clarence of a Lewis game. played great. As a true freshman, that guy reminds me so much of Julian Love with his ability to play the ball. He had 12 tackles. I think that was like the most by a DB since Julian Love. You know, as a true freshman coming in starting, he'll probably be a freshman All-American just like Julian Love. Like, the comparisons between those two are very similar. I think Love was a little shorter, a little faster maybe. But overall, you know, just having a freshman corner that you know is going to be around for a few years is very comforting and for me as a Notre Dame fan. I feel very comfortable at this point having watched as much football as we have. I feel very comfortable with McLeod on one side and Clarence, on, Clarence Lewis on the other. Uh, with, I don't. I, I love Sean Crawford because he's been here forever, and kids are warriors. Come back from injury, like I'm still a little shaky on him. I just hope that you count on him being a senior leader to make a big play in a big spot, and all is forgiven. But like, I feel much, much more comfortable with McLeod and, and Clarence Lewis than I do with McLeod and Bracey. I agree with that. And then one, one of the you guys touched on too is just like book was outstanding. Um, and we should come back to that. But, like, Javon McKinley getting his first three touchdowns of the year in Game in game 10 was pretty cool as well. Uh, he's somebody who's been... Uh, his last game at Notre Dame Stadium. Yep, he's, he's been under the radar, underrated, I think, on the whole. Uh, it was really nice to see him close out his career at Notre Dame Stadium like that. I think that was well-deserved. Um, he's another guy that we kind of talked about with, with the, in the interview with B, that they were somebody who waited a while to get their turn. Um, and has certainly made the most of it uh, this year. So, so, cheers and congrats to to Javon McKinley on, on, a, on a great day. He's well deserved. But yeah, there there were positives. Like, and that's one of them. We saw Chris Tyrese track speed. Yeah, you know that was good to see. Saw him break one. Um, and again, yeah, Clarence Lewis is playing better. Got Cameron Akinake one yard on three carries. Uh, there, there were positives. Um, one other mental mistake that I think sticks out, uh, I, I know we all were fear, pretty furious about it, um, was Mayer on the fourth and three. Oh, dude. I, the, the kid, oh, I, I love it because like I, the kid loves to make plays, which is great, but I need, like, it, it's just, it, it was just a silly, silly mistake in a game that I know he'll clean it up. It's not going to happen again, but like, got to be more focused, know where the sticks are, and, just, just fall forward because then it's a first down, and and, and we go up probably ten nothing rather than going down, staying three nothing, then going down seven three. You know, so yeah, like you can make that play on second down, mm-hmm. not on fourth. Nope, down. maybe not third. Depends on where the sticks are. Uh, no, that was a silly mental mistake uh, for sure. Uh, one thing I want to do before we move on here is like I think we no matter like no matter what we have to touch on book because. Book, if you're going to define our four years at Notre Dame or our generation or and the classes around us, Ian Book is our Notre Dame quarterback. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yep. 
What a dude. I mean, he's just a baller. He, he's evolved at this point. That's something we said at the start of the season. For, in order for Notre Dame to be at the level where I think we're currently at, we needed Ian Book to not be happy feet, be assertive. I think we might have mentioned, you know, be in that Heisman conversation at the end of the year and we'll have a great season. He's done all those things, you know, especially over the last four-ish games ever since Clemson. You know, he's been a top-five quarterback in the country. And there's really no one else that can do every single thing that he can do in terms of getting out of the pocket, just sheer playmaking. You know, that's what sets him apart. You know, he's not the fastest runner. He's not Derek King running the ball. He's not Trevor Lawrence throwing it either. But he moves the chains. He makes plays and wins college football games. And he came from his freshman year sitting on the bench watching four and eight and has really, you know, him and he's going to be synonymous with the rebirth of Notre Dame football. Definitely, he was a uh, here. Here's a here's a guy who was a fifth string on the depth chart when he came in, I believe. Um, and kind of if if there's ever been somebody who sees their opportunity, um, he has done it. The dude's an absolute winner, and I think obviously he's playing his best ball as of late. And this is the Ian book that we knew we needed to win these games. Um, somebody who throws the ball down the field, somebody who's still taking care of the ball, somebody who has incredible pocket awareness. Like These are things that he's doing extremely, extremely well that I think a lot of people don't necessarily give enough credit for. Um, but the dude's a flat-out winner. Um, to come from a, from the fifth string uh, as a freshman or, or, when, or when he first got here, to be the all-time wins leader for a Notre Dame quarterback um, is something extremely special. Um and I'm lucky to, to have witnessed that he he's been awesome, um, and he deserves he deserves all the credit, all the all the love that he gets. Uh, he he's been he's been great because he, he just broke a tie with some pretty with some pretty sweet names. Um, another question for you guys right before we move on. Uh, Brian Kelly's legacy, like that's all. This is also another one. Like he finally. He's finally broken through with a quarterback, which has been which has yeah. been great, um, which has been great to mm-hmm. see. And and now he's going to be he's closing in on, if I'm not mistaken, he'll get it early next year, if unless they win all three games this year. But like he's closing on on Rock for for a win for a yeah. win. Total. I mean, he's going to pass him next year. For he's going to pass him. Yeah. So like that's you know we don't we that's something we can talk about on a bigger scale. Uh, on a, later, but that was something that was brought to my attention this week too. Like, you know, I, I think like Brennan mentions when, when we talked to him, like I was I was quite frustrated with Kelly too, especially after our freshman year at four and eight. But like, he's he's done something quite special here. I think only one of the classes he's ever recruited to Notre Dame has not had an undefeated season at one point. And I, I think I saw that was the twenty thirteen class, the highest rated yes, one. Yes, that's exactly right, Donald. Which is funky yeah. how that works out. Yeah. Which is kind of absurd. Yeah. All right. Yep. We're we're in a really good spot. In we're in a really good spot, man. We're gonna have plenty to talk about this off season, which is gonna which is gonna be fun. Uh, hope, hopefully we get there with, uh, without any blemishes. All right, you guys want to talk around the country, or for the, for this for 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 the uh, for the next next few weeks? Awards. Yeah. Sure. All right. So for the week fifteen picks, we'll change it up a little bit. We're gonna go. We're gonna look at. Uh, some of the awards that are going to be given out um, over the next few weeks. A lot of the uh, semifinalists and finalist lists have just been published uh, over over the weekend and, and into Monday and Tuesday. 
uh, and we can take a look at who, who we think is going to win those awards. We'll also give a pick on the Army-Navy game, which will be played from West, from West Point for the first time in 70 or 80 years, I think, maybe even longer. Um, and then we'll also have our locks of the week. You guys ready? All right. Where do you guys want to start? You want to start with the Heisman? Sure. All right. Let's start with the Heisman. We, uh, um, be mindful that we still got some football to play, but I think it's okay that we can make a call on, uh, on who, you know, make, make a prediction and take the next few weeks into account as well. Yeah. So I think, honestly, the Heisman, you know, I'd, while I'd love to see Ian win it, I think it's going to come down to the winner of the SEC title game between Mac Jones and uh, Kyle Trask. And, you know, unless Kyle Trask just puts on an absolute show uh, in a losing effort, if he wins, I think he gets it. But ultimately, I think Mac Jones, you know, well, there's one thing who I think is going to win it, who should win it's Devontae Smith. But Mac Jones is going to win the Heisman just based off, you know, putting up unreal numbers with unreal receivers. So, there's no way in hell that Mac Jones is the best player in college football. No. He's going to win, he's going to win the Heisman. Um, and it's a little frustrating, but I'm going to go with Donald here because I think Mac Jones is going to win it because he's, he's the quarterback on the best team in the country, which is kind of – unless you're, you know, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield or – but that's kind of what the reward, awards become a little bit. So I, too, am going to agree with you guys, but uh, we'll, take a, we'll take a piece of – Piece of each, I guess. Like Mac Jones and Kyle Trask have, I think, I think they're the two front runners um, for sure. And I think it's kind of bullshit. This has become a, um, this has pretty much become a quarterback award rather than being a total player award because I think that uh, Devonta Smith had, should have a really good case. I think Kyle Pitt should have a really good case. I think that um, I even think that somebody like Najee Harris should have a good case. But it's gonna, it's a, it's now a quarterback award and. Mac Jones and Kyle Trask have similar stats, and I think Alabama's going to win the SEC championship game. Uh, and for all those reasons, I'm going to go with Mac Jones um, for sure. I think I think he's I think he's kind of got this locked up, um, barring any barring any catastrophes uh, over the next few weeks. Kind of nuts that Trevor Lawrence only missing two games effectively took him out of the race. He did. He missed. He also he also missed the biggest really one of the year so far. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I well, think yeah, if he misses we'll two other games, yeah, he will get a shot. Um, I think uh, you know. I don't think yeah. that book has a really realistic chance whatsoever, um, but I no. think I, just want him to I think he'll a, if he's a finalist. He'll have to be a finalist, especially with a win uh, against Clemson in Charlotte. Um, okay, next one we're going to look at was the Home Depot Coach of the Year. Um, this one's an interesting one. Brian Kelly's a previous winner. Um, they don't have they don't have they don't have a finalist list yet, but like some names I was thinking of. Um, Lance Leipold from Buffalo. I know they're only going to end up playing six games, but like that Buffalo team is an absolute wagon, especially for the Mac. They're rolling. They are. They rolling. are rolling. Jamie Chadwell from Coastal. Um, he's done an incredible job. That team's a lot better than me or anybody else gave them credit for. Like we mentioned earlier, Tom Allen is one of the best coaches in college football. And yes, they lost to Ohio State. And that's probably. A good big reason why he, why I don't think he'll win it, but like Tom Allen is is the man. Um, I think Brian Kelly's got a really good case, and I there's no like it's to be expected, but like Nick Saban should also be considered for this award. Yeah, 
Absolutely. For sure. Um, so who do, who, do you, who do you guys think? And there's, there might be other names that I missed. Um, so please, please give me, give me a... Yeah, honestly, this is a tough one just because, you know, I guess you could put, like, Dan Mullen and Jimbo up there too. But, I mean, those teams were highly ranked to start the year. I mean, Notre Dame, what were we, 8, 9 start the year? And that's with a little extra bump because they took Oregon and Ohio State out to start. I mean, I think Kelly should win it. He's done it again. No one expected us to do it. Although I will, I'd say Kelly probably will win it. Um, Chadwell might from Coastal. Oh no, I know who I'm going to say. It's Luke Fickle. You got Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. I I got Fickle if they finish season undefeated. They give it out before bowls, I guess. But I I could see him Fickle like he's building something there. You know, if it's not Clark Lee, it's Luke Fickle for me for next Notre Dame coach. So. Okay. I'm a Luke Fickle fan. I'm a Luke Fickle's name I missed in my in, in my intro there, but I think Luke Fickle would be a very good candidate. Well, the Bearcats look great. Um, and, and you also um, you missed Matt Campbell. I did miss Matt Campbell. That's and a very good name. Oh, yeah. And, th- and this award a little bit has become the most shocking season. Yeah. And I think Iowa State's up there, especially the week one loss to Louisiana. Um, so I think Matt Campbell is a great candidate as well. But I think it's going to go to Jamie Chadwell. I think um, the shots have surprised a lot of people. And uh, I think he might get rewarded for it. Yeah, I, I, too, I too think it's going to be Jamie Chadwell. Just like they have, they've had some big wins. They beat, they beat App State in a really tight game. And he said, he said this on, uh, on game day this week too, on college game day. He was like, I knew, I knew we were going to be better than people thought we were going to be, but I didn't think we were going to be undefeated. Um, and I think that has to do a lot with like the talent that he has on the team, and but I also, it has a lot to do with coaching too. Like this is a, this is an, obviously an extraordinary year for a lot of reasons. Um, so I I think he's just done a, he's done a really really good job, and they have a chance they have a chance to close it out next weekend. I think is it next weekend or this weekend they play Lafayette um, for for their for the for the for the fun belt championship. Um, I'm not sure if it's this or not. I think it's next weekend, but they'll he'll have a close, he'll have a chance to close out against Lafayette for a fun belt championship. Um, I think Coastal will win. I think they'll roll, uh, but I think Jamie Chadwell uh, has. You know, I I I would love to give it to Brian Kelly because he, he's done something great too. But I would definitely go with Chadwell. I think for who's going to win the award. All right, um, the next one we're going to look at is the Broyles Award, the Assistant Coach of the Year. Um, do we have to talk about it? Because I think we, we all might have a similar answer. I looked at, as far as people who might be up for it, Clark Lee, Tommy Reese, Tony Elliott, Brent Marables. There's other people that I'm missing, but who do you guys got? So you're only allowed to have one coordinator per school yes. uh, nominated. Yes. Notre Dame nominated the bald guy, and I think the bald guy is going to win. I think so, too. Clark Lee. I, I think he's he's now, he, now Clark Lee, like, I guess the last two years – or yeah, two years. He wasn't really a known name nationally. He he's going to be now, and I think you know, if he doesn't go to Vandy this year, there's going to be. I think there's going to be a much bigger program going after him now because I think I legitimately think Clark Lee pulls in this award. I mean, I guess you could give it to Sark at Alabama. But, Sark's up there, yeah. I mean, I, he just I'm, has so many more I'm gonna weapons. Say, I'm going to say Sark. I think, I think the Alabama offense is more dominant than the Notre Dame defense. And I think Sark gets it because of that. I mean, he, he just has so many more weapons. 
I guess we have weapons, Hamilton and Wu, but like you know, they have five I, I, stars everywhere. Like when, like there's just there just hasn't been a single game where Bama hasn't gone off offensively, and we kind of got dumped on by Clemson. Even though I mean it was triple overtime, but we still gave up points, you know. Even though we played really well defensively, yeah, we didn't look great against teams like Florida State either. I guess I, I'm still gonna go with Lee. I, I think that I think that yes, Alabama has probably been the most dominant unit overall. But as far as like it, like you mentioned with with the with the home with the coach of the year awards, like kind of who's who surprised you the most? I think a lot of people are shocked at at, at how absolutely dominant this Notre Dame defense has been. Um, I I sent it to a few few of you guys, but ESPN on game day today had some stats up uh, for defense. We are first in rushing yards per game. This was before the Syracuse game. We were first in rushing yards per game, first on third down percentage. And second on TD rate in the country. Like those are those are pretty major stats that prove that Notre Dame's defense has been just as dominant as any other unit in the country. So I'm going to go with Clark Lee, uh, but I think uh, Ian, I don't think you're incorrect for picking Steve Sarkeesian either. I, I I hope I hope you guys are right as well. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll skip a bunch of the middle awards. We can touch on it briefly right after. But the other award we're going to be picking for. Picks is uh, the Bednarik slash the uh, Nagurski Award. They're both they're both awarded as the best defensive player. Um, more often than not, they've been awarded to the same person. Um, so, what do you guys think? Best defensive player. Uh, who do you guys who do you guys think is going to win it? Uh, Ian, you want to take this one first? Um, I haven't really looked, but I. Uh, no, I don't want to go first. I'll go first. Um, so last year, last year this award went both both of these awards went to Chase Young. Um, well deserved. Um, Isaiah Simmons ended up winning like best linebacker, uh, which was which was interesting. But I I think Chase it's it would be tough to make an argument that Chase Young was the most dominant. I think this year is a little bit more wide open. Um, and this is certainly going to be biased because I watch the most Notre Dame football, but I think all three of us watch a good deal of Notre Dame fo- of, of football outside of Notre Dame, especially on Saturdays. Um, I still think it, it's got to be wooing. I just haven't been myself. I have not been impressed, yeah, as impressed with anybody else as I have been with Jeremiah Uso-Koromoa. Um, just his versatility as far as like doing a, doing a lot of everything, um, forcing turnovers, playing playing in pass, uh, you know, defending against the pass, defending against the run, uh, being an absolute leader on this team, playing playing the position that the best athlete in the position, the best athlete in the field plays. Um, I, I, I got to give it to Will. Uh, maybe maybe I'm biased, but I'm giving it to Will. So I, I'm going to go Will as well because he had his moment against Clemson. And I also just want to say Miles Boykin just had a touchdown for the Ravens, so go Irish there. Um. I, I, again, like Chase Young was the obvious choice. Wu is the best. He's the most talented football player on the field pretty much every week. And I think he should win. So I'm going to go with Wu. That's going to be my Notre Dame pick. I'm going to go with Wu. Yeah. I'm not going to go with Wu, and that hurts just because how much I love him, just because he makes a ton of big plays. But he does have a tendency to disappear at times. Boston College game, for example, he had no tackles 
uh, that entire game. They were running away from him, but he has a tendency to disappear. And because of that, you know, I don't think he's on the same level as a Chase Young where he's dominating the entire game. You know, if you have no tackles, yeah, they're running away from game playing, but you're not dominating the game. And one person who really has done that, I've gotten a chance to watch a couple games this year, is Zavin Collins from Tulsa. He has two pick sixes, I think like four or five picks, a bunch of sacks. Uh, I legitimately think he might win an award. I know he's probably kind of an underdog pick. Not a lot of people have watched Tulsa this year, but I mean that dude's everywhere. He's going to go first round. He was a high school quarterback. Now he's six four two sixty. And I guess another dark horse, I guess, is Davion Nixon out of Iowa. That dude is kind of more like that Chase Young, just dominating yeah. a game. But I'll go with Zayvon Collins. Kid from Iowa is going to be a, be a high draft pick if I'm not mistaken, right, Dave? Yeah, he's toward the top of the boards. All right, so that's that's the award picks. Um, some of the other awards that we skipped, uh, we skipped the Davey O'Brien Award, which I go with the best quarterback, but I, I think that just is synonymous with probably who's going to win the Heisman. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, it's probably going to be Mac Jones. Yeah. Um, the other, oh, We skipped the Doak Walker Award, which goes to best running back. Um, I think Najee Harris will probably win it, um, but I think that you there's a stable of running backs behind him. Uh, who have a very good case. I mentioned earlier, Brees Hall from Iowa State is very, very good. Javante Williams from UNC has been great all year. Kyron Williams from Notre Dame has been outstanding. Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo has put up freakish numbers. Um, I think he's rushed for almost 1,000 yards in in four games. Um, And Travis Travis Etienne. So Jarrett Patterson put up video game numbers. Um, But I think think Brees Hall, especially Brees Hall, uh, should probably get some love uh, for the Doak Walker as well if it, if it doesn't go to Najee Harris. Brees Hall is that entire offense. Yep. He, I mean, he's that he is in, he's incredible, and and defenses know he's coming and they still can't stop him. So I, I think Brees Hall is incredible. Najee Harris is incredible, but my vote would probably go to Brees. You know what? I think I think you're right. Maybe in that like. Now, you know what you're going to get with Najee Harris, or you knew what you were going to get with Najee Harris, you knew how dominant he was going uh, to be. I'm not sure everybody knew exactly who Brees Hall was and how and how helpful right. and how dominant he's been to his team. Because I think I think Alabama could probably survive without Najee Harris. Um, I do not think Iowa State stays afloat without Brees Hall. Um, the the other one we were the other ones uh, the Blinnikoff, uh, which goes to the best receiver. Uh, if you don't say Devonta Smith, I think you're out of your mind, um, which stinks because Ty Freifogel is also unbelievably good. I mean, if 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 Jalen Waddle didn't get hurt, he'd be the number two here too. I agree. Um, and then all- might have even been one. Yeah, D. <laughs> like Alabama would have probably legitimately had the top two candidates for the Bletnikoff. Yeah. This year, uh-huh. if Waddle didn't, get um, it. yeah, but out so outside outside Devonta Smith, I think the other candidates that you've made to look at are Ty Fryfogel from Indiana, Elijah Moore from from Ole Miss, and Deami Brown from UNC. I know Amari Rogers was also put on the watch list, um, but I think to me, it would really just be like a, it's at this point, it's a three horse race. If you're if it's not a one horse race, it's a three horse race between Devonta Smith, Ty Fryfogel, and Elijah Moore. Um, but I think I'd rank them in that order: one, two, three. Um, the Mackey Award is the, goes to the best tight end. I think that for sure will go to Pitts, um, and it'll be well deserved. He's a freak. Um, other contenders were uh, Jalen w- uh, Weidemeyer from A and M, 
Um, he's had a pretty good year. And Jake Ferguson from Wisco. Um, if there's been a bright spot in the connection in the, way, in the Wisco offense, it has been between Graham Mertz and Jake Ferguson. He's he's pretty good. I can see him playing on Sundays in the future. He's built like Cole Komet a little bit. Um, and the last, the, the last one uh, I think we'll all agree on, uh, the Joe Moore Award goes to the best all, uh, offensive line. Um, there's no way... The boys. It's got, it's got to go to Notre Dame. Yep. They have been absolutely dominant all year, even on their third or fourth offensive line combination. Others in contention uh, with BYU, Buffalo, Virginia Tech, Kentucky, and Marshall were all near the top. But Notre Dame has been oh, absolutely dominant, um, especially the loss from BYU last week. There's no way that Notre Dame doesn't take home the Joe Moore Award in my ass. Yeah, I think A&M's up there as well. I think they have like almost as many starts across their line as Notre Dame yes, does. Yes, and maybe even more now. Pat- Patterson's gone, but but I mean, like, yeah, it's it's got to be Irish, or else this committee's just lost their yep. minds. All right, so that's kind of going to be the awards. We'll see how those play out. Uh, I think they get awarded right after the conference championship games. I think I could be wrong. Um, it, it may it may it may get pushed back this year. I'm not sure what the scheduling is, but I believe it'll be right after the conference championships. Um, so we'll see how we did, um, and, uh, and and we'll, we'll recap and we can react to those in a few weeks. Um, the one game we are going to pick this week as a group um, is the Army-Navy game. We'll, like I mentioned earlier, we'll be played from West Point, um, which is going to be a little weird not having it in Lincoln Financial or uh, or an M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Uh, but it'll be cool to have it on a campus site for a change, and that's where game day is going. Um, Navy... Uh, I'm sorry, Army is six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Uh, who do you guys like? I think Jeff Monken is a really good coach. Um, like, they've just been more physical. I honestly haven't, you know, without Notre Dame playing Navy, I really haven't gotten a feel for that team. Usually this is a game I have somewhat of a feel for, just based off of the Notre Dame-Navy yeah. game. Um, but I, I think, you know, this game or this series – kind of goes and runs, you know, Navy will win five, six in a row, then Army will win five, six in a row. And especially Navy, you know, Malcolm Perry, their heart and soul over the last four years. He's gone, you know, a new quarterback in this game probably doesn't understand the magnitude of it. Um, and I, th- I think Army kind of continues their hot streak. So I'll go with Army to cover as well. This is a huge line for the Army-Navy game, and I'd love to see it be close. Love to see it be close. I don't think Navy's that good, and I think it probably it could be a one touchdown game, but that 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 one touchdown is going to cover the spread for Army. Yeah, I'd I'd agree. I'm I'm going to take I'm going to take the Black Knights. I think Jeff Monk has been a really good coach. Um, if people are willing to embrace, if people people being Vanderbilt are willing to embrace uh, the triple option, I think he'd be a great candidate for a job like that. And we touched on that previously. Um, but I, I just think I think Army is just a much better team than Navy this year. With that said, I, I agree with Ian that this line is a little big for me to feel comfortable. I'm still going to take Army to cover, but this is it's 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 a weird game. I think we're looking. Ian, I said it to you earlier. We're still looking at rain, um, rain and, and cold te- and cold temperatures from West Point. It's going to look like a lot of Army Navy games have looked like in the past from a weather standpoint. Um, so I could see it going. I could see it being a low scoring game and it being a tight one, but. You know, D also mentioned. I think Navy's on, a fre- on starting a freshman quarterback, Xavier Airline, who's also going to play lacrosse for them. Um, I just think I just think this Army Army team is just going to be 
much better than the Navy team, than, than what Navy can field at this point. Uh, so I'll go with the Black Knights as well. Tom, are you taking your uh, service academy under 38? It's, dude, it's a low number. It's a low. Again, Ian and I talked about this <laughs> earlier today. It, it's a low number, dude. That That's low. I mean, that, that just means we need five touchdowns in the game plus a field goal. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I see five touchdowns. I might do it. The church, if the, the, the church of Fornelli says to do it, so I might do it. Here's But potentially, does a wet track almost help a triple option offense? Yeah, I don't know. I guess. I, I guess the I guess the good news know. here is that they're both they're both prepared to see it. So, um, hopefully, defenses step up, but I'll I'll probably be on the under that game. It certainly won't be my lock of the week. All right, fellas, let's, let's talk about some locks. Do you got one? Yep, and I have a feeling that you guys are on this too, or at least one of you. I'm glad I'm going first. It's uh, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers thirteen and a half against the Troy Trojans on the road, but. It could be a little bit of a letdown game, but I think those guys are focused. They know that you know one slip up by Cincinnati, and they're in the New Year's Six game. I am gonna go with Wake Forest plus you two at Louisville. Bastard, Ian. It's two weeks. Sorry, sorry, two, sorry. It's two weeks in a row. Um, no, <laughs> well, it didn't go. Well, it didn't go well last week. So you might want to look elsewhere. I know that but, was that um, was a, that was an absolute disaster from Piscataway. Wake Forest is the better team. I don't know why they're, they're dogs here. They're they're legitimately the better team, and I think they'll show up and they'll win that game. Was this so, Louisville? Sprinkle as well. Yeah, at Louisville. Who cares? But oh, Satterfield. Yeah, out. I mean, Satterfield's literally telling his team he doesn't care about them. Mixed mixed with Wake Forest playing hard every week, they win that game. I uh. I'll- like I mentioned, I, I'm also with the Demon Deacons. I think that they've actually been playing pretty good football despite kind of being out of contention. I like Sam Hartman a lot. Um, they actually they lead the they lead the country in turnovers. They I think they've only had one or two turnovers the entire year, um, which is which is good for them. Um, and and I really don't understand how they're how they are do- underdogs in this game. Um, I, I really don't, especially after the disaster that Scott Satterfield. Has has gotten himself into after interviewing for the South Carolina job. Um, what a what a what are the disasters? Really, the only word I can think of. Um, but it, it's been a mess at Louisville this week. I think they're going to be incredibly unfocused. And what's his face um, from Louisville just opted out for the rest of the season. Was it two two Atwell? Two two Atwell. Atwell. Yeah, and just opted out. So I am shocked, but I'll, I'll be taking. I, I certainly think that's free money to be taking the Demon Deacons. Um, one other thing, right. we got our first hire of the offseason. South Carolina hires oh, yeah. Shane Beamer. Hires Shane Beamer. Oh, Knee yeah. jerk reaction before you go. Quick. Oh, I, I was going to have other breaking news. Uh, I think they're going to be a good on special teams. Bring Beamer ball to the SEC. <laughs> it's in the blood. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an all right hire. I don't think it really. It doesn't really tickle my fancy as much like it's not a huge name and it doesn't really I think bring South Carolina that much out of irrelevancy in the SEC um I don't like it I don't like it whatsoever if I'm a Gamecock I'm pretty pissed but yeah D. Clemson early seven and a half point favorite over the Irish Good. oh no way 
Good. Good. I'll take that. I will absolutely take that. You know what? I, I might wait for it to move up because I think people think that I, I genuinely think people will think that this uh, this Clemson team healthy can smoke their name. So might wait for it to move up. And that'll be our main topic of discussion next week. Looking so. forward to it, fellas. Enjoy enjoy the weekend off. Everybody rest up and get healthy. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.